Hello and welcome to the Psychedelic Christian Podcast, the conversation at the crossroads of faith and psychedelics. I'm Clint, your host, and I'm thankful and excited that you've chosen to join us. Enjoy the show. Hello, my friends, and welcome to episode 23 of the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. If you are a new listener, and this is your first episode of the show, my name is Clint Kyles, host of the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. If you would like to learn more about me and the mission of this podcast, I encourage you to have a listen to episodes one and two. In a nutshell, I am an active and devoted Christian family man who also just happens to be cautiously optimistic about the role psychedelics can have in our lives, which led me to start this podcast. My goal is not to promote the use of psychedelics, but rather to invite my fellow Christians to join in the modern conversation surrounding these practices. I host a wide variety of guests, mostly fellow Christians, to share their thoughts and experiences concerning their Christian faith and psychedelics. Some of my guests are excited about the positive potential of psychedelics, especially the potential benefit to those who struggle with mental health and traumatic physical and psychological injury. However, some of my guests are deeply skeptical, concerned about the potential negative effects of psychedelics on individuals and society. We are currently experiencing a rapid rise of public interest in the use of psychedelic substances. This is what some refer to as the psychedelic renaissance, and I believe that Christians need to educate themselves on the topic and enter the conversation regardless of their ultimate conclusions, and I'm glad that you are here to participate in that today. If this is a topic that resonates with you, reach out to me. Send me an email, contact at thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com. Introduce yourself. Share your thoughts and experiences with me. Who knows? You might one day be here sharing your thoughts with this wonderful community of fellow Christians and spiritual seekers. And if you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Give us a five-star rating, leave comments, and share the show with someone you think will enjoy it as well. You can also be a Psychedelic Christian Podcast superhero by making a financial contribution to the show by visiting thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com slash support. My deepest thanks to all of you who contribute to the show, and thanks to all of you, I've been able to replace my crashed computer, which will allow me to create video files of the audio and continue to make the podcast available on YouTube. Speaking of YouTube, if you haven't subscribed to the show there, please take a moment to visit the Psychedelic Christian Podcast channel and subscribe and leave your comments. It means a lot to me and it helps others find the show. Remember to hang around after today's conversation to hear my recommendations of other great podcasts that I have found insightful and entertaining. I have a couple of great recommendations for you today. With that, let me introduce you to today's guest. Today on the Psychedelic Christian Podcast, we're joined by Adam Hobbs. Adam currently hosts the podcast, Discussions on Christianity, and is a researcher of both the physical and metaphysical. He focuses his research on the gifts of the Spirit, 
and documented and claimed cases of miracles throughout history. Adam Hobbs, welcome to the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's an honor. I'm returning the favor, so to speak. A few months ago, I got some correspondence from you, and I learned about your your own podcast that I'm sure we'll get to um, in your story. And uh, I was intrigued, and I was honored to be welcomed upon your show, and I think we had a great conversation. I'll be sure to add a link to that in the show notes if anyone wants to check that out. I had a really good time on that one. I enjoy the topic of what you bring to the table. Well, I appreciate that. I, I, I appreciate your show as well. It's it's more diverse, obviously, in mine when it comes to the Christian experience. But I find so much value in that because so often we get isolated in our own little silos, you know, mm-hmm. our own individual Christian experience. And I think we lose sight of how God has worked in and through the church in all kinds of different cultural and historical settings, and and the practices are dependent upon the culture of the people and where they're from. And, and absolutely, uh, yeah, our our experience as a church is also impacted by what kind of government we you know are we live under and where you know maybe the uh, climate we're in. So mm-hmm. everyone's Christian experience is unique, and I think hearing from from people from all those different walks of Christian life. It makes us recognize that maybe the manifestation of Christianity that we're walking in and participating in is not necessarily the only way to do it. Mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons why I started the podcast in the first place is to bring together the different viewpoints from all around. So if you look at it, if you think about it like a circle where like this is Christendom and all of the people that believe in Christ, you might have only been to a certain section of that circle. And without understanding the rest of the circle, I think you can't understand the big picture. That's an excellent way to encapsulate it. But before we get into all what you're doing currently, Mm -hmm. why don't we uh, learn a little bit about your early life? What kind of religious experience were you raised with or lack thereof? Did you grow up in the church or... Uh, as a child growing up, um, my parents were not religious. Um, we would go to my grandparents' church maybe once every few months when we visited them, but that was about the extent of my knowledge of religion growing up. Uh, my dad ran a franchise, and my mother was a nurse, and so because of his franchise, he would have to he would move periodically to get better stores, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so. I lived in about four or five different locations growing up until we settled down through my teenage years, well, through my about eight to 18 in a little rural town in the east of Virginia. Mm-hmm. So background is not a religious household, but I knew about Christianity. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the basics of where my story starts. And, you know, as, as children, it's it's difficult for us to really have like a cohesive understanding of how faith and physical life mm-hmm. inter- are intertwined. But what, like, how would you have perceived, um, say, the spiritual reality? Would you have considered the Christian story to be accurate? Or, I mean, did you think there was a designer up there somewhere? Or, um, I had no clue and hadn't even thought about it. The only thing <laughs> that I had thought about was the physical reality that I lived in. Right. Um, at growing up, I was a very scientifically minded kid. Um, I was the I was the kid at, you know, six or seven that wanted to go dig in the back of the yard because I saw Jurassic Park. (laughs) (laughs) 
Uh, um, I, think we're, I think we all might have fancied ourselves, uh, you know, paleontologists after. Yeah, exactly. After you, after, most boys, at least, go through like the dinosaur phase, you know, of yep. their childhood. Um, after after that phase, I got heavily into space, and that is where my heart really stayed. I basically was trying to be an astronaut for the first, well, up until I was about 20-ish, about 1920 range, um, at which point the space program was cut and they basically mm. dismantled the space shuttles and there was a short window where they weren't going to be accepting anybody and I fell directly into that window, so it just kind of went out that way. Timing, 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 they say. Everything happens for a reason, so... You know, sometimes it's hard to see see what that reason is. Sometimes we live the rest of our life not not no, understanding exactly why something like that happens. You know, because mm-hmm. uh, I tend to I tend to believe that our passions are a, are a gift that steer us in a direction where maybe we'll um, you know find our highest value of service. But absolutely. Um, but sometimes it feels like that very passion's cut out from under you in some ways. You know, but. Um, mm-hmm. But if you live long enough, oftentimes you see, you know, you see how it all had its purpose. Yep, uh, absolutely. Um, so going back to my childhood part, um, my spiritual journey really begins at 14, 15 range. It was the fall right before I turned 15. I was, again, I'd never really gone to church beside, for myself or thought about anything like that. And I went to lay down in my bed one night. And I usually take about 30 minutes to fall asleep. I'm not a quick sleeper, but I laid down and I remember the moonlight coming in through the window and then I was in a different place. It was emptiness except for a figure that stood in front of me that was so tall that all I could see was basically their shins down, uh, dressed in a white robe. And they made me feel that whiteness made, it was a whiteness of purity. And it made me feel like I was a discolored slug that had just been unearthed from under a rock. And in a voice that pretty much shook my entire being, I got told, read the New Testament. And then I was back in my bed. I was literally trying to dig through my sheets and I just kind of curled, uh, laid over and cried for a bit. So that was really the start of my spiritual journey. Well, I <laughs> it's thank a, you for um, sharing that. Wow. That's, uh, it, it's, a it's, it's definitely an experience. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, I think, well, I don't think I know based on how many interactions I've had with people, you know, uh, behind the scenes, not necessarily through the podcast these kind of experiences aren't really unique in the Christian. No, they're world, not, you know, but no there, one wants a bunch. Yeah. No one wants to talk about that, at least in modern times, because that would likely give people the idea that we're not, you know, maybe we're not trustworthy because we're not living in, you know, temporal reality because we had some kind of mm-hmm. unique experience like that, or they yep. chalk it up to an overactive imagination or something like that, which, you know, it's hard to have, you know, tangible evidence for those experiences. But mm-hmm. when you've lived something so vividly, I can understand why a person would definitely recognize that as a as a manifestation of some kind of the work of God in your life or something to that effect. I mean, it's not every day we have an experience like that. So, yep. so what kind of impact did that have on your trajectory? I mean, that's a 
pretty um yeah that's it was a pretty defining big uh, moment and, it yeah would seem like. um yeah so i i really get uh paul you know going to damascus and mm-hmm, <laughs> getting exactly. caught up like that so i was very afraid at first as i can completely understand now but <laughs> it took me probably half a year or so before i actually started reading the new testament after that i started attending uh rappahannock church of christ actually jim ward who i had on my show in my first episode yeah yeah he was uh, the assistant pastor there at the time and walker galding was the pastor um i got baptized there when i was 15 and i basically was in the state that most christians are in that i would say in the I want to, and I don't want to make this sound negative in any kind of way because every person believes, every person that believes believes through their own faith. And so, if somebody thinks that the King James Bible is the only true version of the Bible, and that's what makes them and gives them the solidity in that faith, I don't want to question that mm-hmm. because that helps their faith. If there's somebody that likes to question everything, and that's what helps their faith, then that is their path each each one of us has our own path so i'm only specifically speaking for my path and my viewpoint mm-hmm. but i think that most christians are a read the whole story don't dig into anything of it and just kind of how do i say it have faith that that there's nothing else well uh to some degree a childlike faith is is an honorable thing mm-hmm. um, yeah and that's exactly yeah so i i don't want to deride anyone else's faith Right. You know, some, some of us, it requires a little more digging, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I imagine that's probably where what happened to you. You know, you weren't that that childlike faith wasn't satisfying enough. You yeah, started because digging. I, I again, I'm more of a scientifically minded person. Mm-hmm. So I want to know how things happen, not only why things happen, but how things happen, too. So one of my biggest, well, you could say my life goal in any case. Um, since I was probably 17 or 18, has been to find out what happened during the cessation. Um, the cessation, for any of y'all that don't know the term out there, is basically we have good historical evidence of Jesus doing miracles. We have good histor- historical evidence of the apostles doing miracles, and we have good historical evidence of the first round of disciples doing miracles. After that point, everything falls off the chart. Um, now miracles occur, but they don't occur because a person said so. Um, now we still have prophecy and things like that, but when it comes to the healing of the sick, the expulsion of demons, resurrection, uh, physical manipulation of reality around you, things like that, we don't have any historical evidence for anyone after that first round, Jesus, his apostles and his disciples. And then after that, it stops. And that's what we call the cessation. Yeah, I'm, I'm familiar with that concept. I, I've never taken sides on that issue. I guess mm-hmm. I guess that would be in opposition, not necessarily, you know, uh, angry or violent opposition, but that would be in theological opposition to say uh, a more charismatic interpretation of of life, um, mm-hmm. like where miracles and and manifestations of the spirit take over people in modern mm-hmm. times. So a cessationist would be someone convinced that that period of gifts had a a defined time in history and we're no longer living within that right now is that in a nutshell yeah, sort of because we can still see that miracles happen there's healings that occur all the time mm-hmm. i mean you can uh, the catholic church has an entire branch dedicated to 
verifying miracles and they do a really good job mm-hmm. at writing down and documenting everything that occurs. So we know that the miracles still occur, but they don't ever occur through a person. I understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's really the the crux of the cessation and what happens there. Okay. That's uh again, that's something that I'm familiar with, but I need to dig into it a little more. I'd love to hear, I'd love to, you know, read kind of the, the arguments on both sides of that issue. And mm-hmm. at this point in my life, I don't really have a I don't really have a definitive opinion on all that. But uh interesting. Well, so that mm-hmm. that was that was, so the group of people that you were learning from at that time, that was the view they they held to? Oh no, no, no. Oh, okay. Um, the Church of Christ um, is basically your standard Protestant church um, in most regards. It's a one where you go to church on Sundays and you listen to the pastor. And... Right. <laughs> yeah, I've been I've had some experience with Church of Christ in my youth, uh, you know, friends that went there. But mm-hmm. I know there within the Church of Christ, there are also a variety of kind of subdenominations and I'm not familiar with any of the differences and distinguishments, you know, between those. So I didn't know if maybe there was a branch where that was part of their uh, theology. So, so you, you discovered that while in that setting, you discovered it elsewhere. Um, I discovered around 18 when I went to college and I started attending Chi Alpha, which was a Pentecostal group Mm -hmm. with the UVA where I went to college. Okay. Um, and the Pentecostals are very much about the gifts of the spirit, mm-hmm. right? That was, that was more of their focus. And that's when I really got interested because from a personal experience, I knew and had experienced the actual power because it's just something that I can't describe in words because there is just an authority or power that radiated off of that figure that was indescribable um day like you who has had a demonic man by demons um we're cutting out a little bit the, um i'm getting a lag oh, in the i just i, I just didn't want to miss oh, what you sorry. said um, afraid, afraid i'll start over but those who have experienced demonic manifestations or demons in mm-hmm. uh, our name of jesus christ holds sway of demons today like there are many, many stories where someone will say the Jesus and be free of that demon. So there's many things that show us the power and authority that is today there, but just not manifested through any individual on earth. Okay. Getting back to um past and catching up. While I was in college, um, I was pretty heavy into studying the New Testament, of course. I attended Pentecostal services. I played in the band there for a while. But at the same time, I didn't feel that I was seeing that I was experiencing everything the same way other Christians were experiencing. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is I would read a passage and... Others would say one thing, whereas my mind would go to a different route. I guess you could call me contrarian. (laughs) Um, But when I read things, it seems like I get a different story than a lot of people get, if that makes sense. And I think about it differently than most people think about it. Yeah. You know, we need that because oftentimes when we read, you know, an ancient passage, it's not always clear exactly what was intended. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, we read the passage recently 
in our own church service, you know, where Jesus is being followed by a woman of a different, of a different nation. And, uh, mm-hmm. she's begging him for, for mercy. And he's, he tells her, you know, it's, it's not right for me to give you the gifts that are for the people of Israel, basically. He said, it's not right to feed the food of the master's family to the dogs, you know? And that's very jarring and shocking. You're like, why would Jesus be so, so mean to this poor woman? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you follow, you realize that he's trying to make a point, you know, and she tells him, you know, but even the dogs eat crumbs from the master's table. And so he uses her, her great faith as an example to his own disciples and to anyone, I guess, who was within earshot. So they could understand that, you know, the power of her faith exceeded all those other boundaries, you know, that were within religious society. Mm-hmm. And you could have, I've heard various interpretations of that. My priest told me he once heard another priest give a sermon in which they interpreted that as uh, that woman calling Jesus out on his misogyny or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, It's just kind of humorous that someone would draw that conclusion. But it goes to mm-hmm. your point that oftentimes, you know, something is is taught and an, and an interpretation is given. And some of us are in the back scratching our head like, I'm not so sure that was, you know, the take home message. Yeah. <laughs> so in particular, if you mind, if you don't mind, I'll talk a little bit on the story that you're talking about. The, Go for the it. crumbs from the dogs. Uh, so there is um, if you look back in ancient ancient history. One of the first religions that was ever really officially in a, re- a religion was called Zoroastrianism. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was basically the study and worship of stars. So they would believe that the constellation Hercules is a real person, you know, things like that. Now, I think that this is kind of a twisted version of reality. I personally believe that we are created in kind of a mirror form and what is above us is reflected below. So it's not that people should be worshiping stars, but there are stories that are told in the stars. Now mm-hmm. you shouldn't worship the stars, but there are stories that are told through the stars that uh, in particular, what we're talking about is directly mentioned. So there is a constellation called the table and mm-hmm. underneath of that table is Canis Major and Canis Minor, Canis Minor, the dogs. Wow. So the food that falls off of the table is eaten by the dogs. Wow. So this is also a statement towards, I think, so the interpretation, it can be interpreted as what you guys were talking about physically. But I think that in the metaphysical interpretation, she was saying even the dogs eat off, eat the crumbs that fall off the table. And she was talking about the above story. And this is why Jesus says, your faith has led you to this. Therefore, I will heal heal your child. Wow. Uh, That is awesome. I have not heard that. So um, I realize there's a lot in the stars that kind of our modern Western education hasn't really passed down to us. Um, Oh, yeah. And again, I, I I'm not know. advocating for worship of stars, right, but to right. study to study the thing is not to worship a thing. Right, right. And God put them there in a certain place, I, I believe, to tell a story. And I need to dig into this, but I'm going to go ahead and throw it out there. Maybe you've heard mm-hmm. it or maybe you'll want to dig into it on your own. But I just recently heard someone refer to 
the constellations that surround the North Star in our sky mm -hmm. in the northern hemisphere, the four of them are the four beasts in Revelation. It's you know, they're so also I'll, the they're also the images of the four gospel writers. Right. So how did I not know this? I, I feel like <laughs> this should have been a part of my Christian <laughs> yeah. education. Oh yeah, at some it point, should you know? <laughs> it should be it should be like a ding ding ding, you know, like red alarm kind of bells going off kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, because uh, you have a lion with wings, you got a bear or bear. some major, you know. <laughs> um, but uh, you have a uh, I think Aquarius. No, um, uh, the king, the king and queen. Um, I can't remember their names. I can't either. I I have yeah, just enough. But, but it's the four constellations around the North Pole. Right. I have just enough knowledge of astronomy to make me sound like a moron if I start, you know, pontificating <laughs> on it. So. But yeah, I mean, and for those who don't know, most people are familiar with the Big Dipper. If you look into the northern sky, the Big Dipper, that's that's a part of the Ursa Major constellation, the bear, correct? Mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. So mm -hmm. that's something that most of us as a child learn to identify in the night sky. And so, um, yeah, for everyone, next time you're out there and you look north at night and you see that uh, big upside down dipper, realize that's mm -hmm. Ursa Major, part of the bear. Yep. Um, very interesting as well when you're talking about the beast of revelation. Um, I was actually discussing this with somebody the other day. So there are four beasts uh in Daniel, mm -hmm. and these four beasts are represented by the four constellations around the North Pole. Um, you have the the line with the wings of the eagle, you have the griffin and the bear and the leopard, the leopard, that's the other one. Right. Um as well as um, a beast that comes up with seven, um, no, a beast that comes up with 10 horns. Yeah, mm -hmm. just 10 horns. So if you add all of the heads of the beast together, because the, I think the bear has two heads, the leopard has like three. Um, but if you add everything together, the beast of revelation is a conglomeration of those four beasts. It has seven heads and ten horns because those four beasts together have seven heads and ten horns. Mm. You know, I, I have heard like that people make reference to that. Yeah, mm -hmm. and and you know, uh, this is a rabbit trail that we probably don't need to go down. But sometimes I'll even <laughs> hear people try to, uh, and I'm just I'm I'm saying this because I hope that people entertain these concepts and flesh them out. And you don't have to mm -hmm. you don't have to necessarily anchor to them as though they were like uh, the Christian creed or something. Yeah, um, exactly. But they're things that you can, you know, flesh out in your mind and go down these interesting. I mean, the, the Christian religion is, is vast and deep. And I feel like we're only given like, you know, the, uh, the outline surface. version of it. Yeah. yeah. The, the surface, you, you scratch the surface and that's about it. Right. But sometimes people want to use these, these prophecies and these ancient, you know, stories to maybe interpret modern times. So I've, I've heard people say, well, the bear is Russia, you know, and all this stuff, you know, and I, <laughs> you know, I'm again, I'm not against all that. I think it's, I usually hear, you know, with an open ear and I'm like, wow, that's pretty interesting interpretation you have there. I don't know what to do with it, you know, because again, it's not something I'm going to anchor to and create as like a central facet of my faith or something yeah. um, around, you know, end times prophecy, but but it's interesting. I enjoy hearing people's, uh, you know, opinions and their research on these topics. Yeah. The study of the stars and their relation to scripture, I think, is a bit more of a Gnostic route. Mm -hmm. And that's why most people don't take it. Um, uh, just to give you a little bit about myself, too, I would consider myself really a non-denominational Gnostic mystic. 
So I try to think in three parts. So we have a physical world, we have a metaphysical world above us, and then we have the spiritual world within. So there's a, <clears throat> there's an above, there's an a below, and there's a within. And I think that represents the difference between the earth, the heavens, and then heaven within. Mm -hmm. I've, I've heard so, others make reference to, you know, similar structures. Yeah, uh, I think know. the study of the metaphysical, which would be the above, is the study of like the stars and mm -hmm. things like that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, when you brought up the, the Zoroastrians, I believe, you know, according to Christian tradition, we believe that maybe that's where the Magi came from, possibly from mm -hmm. from that religion. Yep. So uh, another thing, um, <laughs> the three Magi uh, also relate to three stars that come and then they take a different route because they go the other way and then come mm. back again to the east. Cool. So I think that everything that is everything mirrors each other. So there is a physical reality of what happens on the earth mirrored by a metaphysical reality of what happens in the stars. Right. Gotcha. I follow. Sense. Yeah, I'm following. It's just not something I've delved too deep into. You know, it's like I've, yeah. I've had these conversations with people just in passing a little here, a little there. Um, well, before we move on, and so I don't forget, because I know I will, like, is there a book that you might recommend on this topic, like where people could dig into that if they? Uh, yes, actually. Um, there is a book by Marty Leeds. He's a Gnostic person. He's also a flat earther. So you take you got to take <laughs> okay. that as well. Um, right. uh, I think it's called Scripture in the Stars. Okay. It's we'll, a very uh, we'll good that to intro the... into that. All right, cool. Yeah, we'll add that mm -hmm. in. Well, let's get back to your story. So so you started um, getting into that, mate, or getting into like space? I started, and... I started, yeah, I was heavily into space all throughout my teenage years. Um, and then I, I actually went to UVA. I majored in chemistry for the first couple of years because I wanted to be a mission specialist. And at that point is when they decommissioned the space shuttles and we're going to transfer to a new series of launches and that window where I could have gone in basically I, I got screwed over in that regard right. <laughs> but every everything happens for a reason so right. um, so, so at where that did you point, turn I, at that point I was kind of lost I was like okay well what am I going to do because I, I didn't really want to go into chemistry for chemistry's sake mm -hmm. it was kind of a path for me to get into space right so I did basically a casting of lots um, I put up about 10 different subjects that I was interested in and felt that I could major in, um, one of those being religious studies. And I put them up on a dartboard. I closed my eyes and I threw. And I hit religious studies right in the center. Um, I did it again. And I hit religious studies again. So I said, OK, <laughs> <laughs> just just in case that was a fluke. Let's try one more time. <laughs> said, OK, let's go that way. Hey, there's, um, so, there's scriptural precedent for doing, you know, for making decisions in such ways, you know? So basically I switched over to religious studies, which I, I really love the department there. Um, excellent, excellent people and majored in Christianity and minored in Islam and the relationship between the two of those, because I always found the historical conflict between the two fascinating. Just for sake of a kind of, understanding where that fell in the time scheme was that post 9-11 because i think a lot of christians didn't even know what a muslim was until after 9-11 yes 9-11 uh, happened when <laughs> i was a junior in high school okay yep sure. so 
it was post that time and I was not going into the military because by the time I had turned 18, it had become obvious that we were there right. for other reasons. Than... Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah. we'll, 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 we'll digress from that. But yeah, I've got my, I got my own thoughts on uh, all that <laughs> and I'll reserve for another podcast somewhere. Interest, real interesting uh, conspiracy theory. If you want to go deep, deep down the rabbit hole is that there was supposedly a Stargate in Iraq that we went in there mm. for. But um, yeah, um, honest, honestly, I wouldn't consider anything outside the realm of possibility, you know. Yeah, again, I always try to take everything with a grain of salt. Um, mm. I really love one of the things that I learned um, through my college years and directly after was the the way that studies used to be done or way that schooling used to be done before our modern education mm -hmm. system. And that was the trivium and the quadrivium. Have you ever heard of those? Yeah, I'm uh I've been over at various points in my life associated with classical Christian schools. So, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the trivium, you know, uh, uh, trivium was, is, uh, rhetoric, logic, and grammar, 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 the, grammar, rhetoric, grammar, logic, and rhetoric. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the quadrivium is, um, astronomy, music, geometry, and mathematics. I think that sounds right. Yep. But one of the things that I really love about the trivium is it has a motto and it says, listen to all, trust none. Hmm. And I, I really I've taken that one to heart, you know, because I, I like to listen to everything and give everything a chance, but have logical discernment through it. Right. Right. And you can only you can only compare it to what you've learned in the past, you know, and so mm -hmm. we all kind of have this. I don't know. I, I, I don't for whatever reason, I tend to visualize it as you know, like a hobo walking or, or like Santa Claus carrying a big bag. Uh -huh. And it's kind of like us with our theology. You know, it's like mm -hmm. we, uh, or, you know, we walk in through life with this huge bag and then we, we learn a new concept or a new historical, you know, event becomes uncovered. And we try to force that into our theology bag. And mm -hmm. eventually you end up with a, some things that appear to be divergent, you know, but you're, but there's, you're still holding them within your, your head and your heart. Um, yeah. Even though you haven't really found any kind of like reconciliation between those two ideas, those things really work well together, and sometimes they fight. Right. So um, another part of my spiritual journey starts when I was about twenty-one, twenty-two range. I had graduated college. I was still in Charlottesville, just working random. I think I was at Jimmy John's or something like that, mm -hmm. and I was starting to feel a tingling sensation like in specific areas like around the crown of my head and in my back and i was like okay do i need to go see a doctor like what what's going on here and they just kept getting stronger and stronger and i went and saw somebody like nothing wrong with you and eventually i came to understand that it was my own energy i know that people talk about aura or chi or the chakra system and again this might be something that a lot of christians aren't comfortable with getting into but it is something that i physically experienced that came out of the blue i had not studied these things mm -hmm. or delved into them or whatnot but i started to be able to feel uh notably my brow chakra as well as some other points in my system that started making it known to me that hey we're here um <laughs> in a very vague to the point where uh for instance if you're 
vibrating like that, it's kind of hard to sleep sometimes. Mm, yeah. So these feelings just kept getting stronger and stronger. And eventually I got into the study of the chakra system. And I don't uh, that's know. That's something I'm real familiar with. So, I mean, it, I, I've heard of it. That... I've heard people talk about it, but I, I've never really studied it to the degree where I have a an understanding of mm -hmm. it. I think that it's something that needs to be discussed by Christians because Again, it's something just like what we talked about the astrotheology and the Zoroastrianism. Mm -hmm. You shouldn't worship the stars. They're they're not God. But at the same time, you can study them. Mm -hmm. In the same sense, there are energy centers within the body. That doesn't mean that you should worship these energy centers or, or be something that you're not. But right. the fact that they are there means something, at right. least to me. Well, um, I, was, I was a little quick aside. I was discussing with my, my sons the other night about some of these, what people consider forms of either alternative medicine or alternative healing, mm -hmm. you know, things like Reiki. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know much about that system and we don't have to get off into that, but I used it as an example. I said, this is something that people seem to have found like tangible power in using. Mm -hmm. yes. um, I'm not saying they're using it for good or ill. I don't know. But mm -hmm. if that's something that exist in the world it seems to me like christians should at least learn about it okay. and identify where if, there, if there's a modality that is functioning in the world as a process to change material from one aspect to another or mm -hmm. release energy from one material body into either the ether or into another like that's something that maybe we should understand yeah. Absolutely. Um, I see it the same way as a doctor. So like mm -hmm. if you have somebody who's now we talk about healing in the scriptures and what Jesus does and what the apostles do and even the miracles that happen today. If a doctor or somebody that's capable of learning medicine goes to school and studies for a long time and is able to help heal people, even though it's not through the use of the Holy Spirit, he's still healing people. Mm -hmm. Is that a good thing? And I would think that most Christians would go, yes, that, that's a pretty good thing, you know, because he's doing what he can or doing what that person can, he or she, to help out. Mm -hmm. In the same way, I think that those people who are doing like the Reiki, um, the spiritual energy healing are like doctors. Mm -hmm. They are using their talents and their ability to try to do good for what they can. Right. It's just the same like, kind of thing. Just like doctors, those people all have different religious face. They all have different bedside manners. You know, that's a, mm -hmm. um, so occasionally probably somebody misuses such forms of medicine, just like maybe a modern uh, physician might occasionally misapply or misuse um, mm -hmm. their form of medicine. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So. Uh, Cause that is a form of energy. It's a form of energy that can be used to heal or to harm. Mm -hmm. And so, and that's completely dependent on the mind state. So it's very, very, it's a lot easier to harm somebody. I would say with negative energy than it would be to, well, I, I guess it would doctor, it'd be the same thing if they accidentally an artery in something while they were working, they might not have intended to do it, but they did it anyways, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Medical error is one of the highest fatalities uh, in modern society, to my understanding. Yeah. So it's something that can be used for good or ill, and it depends on each individual case, mm -hmm. is what I would say.
but mm-hmm. getting back to my story anyways um so i started to be able to experience this energy and i started to be able to move it around and it's very interesting you know sensations but at the same time i was never able to do anything if that makes sense so i could place my hands on somebody and say be healed or be healed in the name of jesus and still nothing would occur mm-hmm. so while i had all this energy and vibration and things like that nothing happened and it was very frustrating uh, it's been very frustrating <laughs> mm-hmm. to be able to sense something and not be able to apply it to the use of helping others mm-hmm. um, well, maybe it's a it's something in formation you know yeah that's very true so the next probably five or six years of my life um i spent basically trying to manipulate this energy and feed everything i could into it and getting absolutely nowhere Mm. um i pretty much floundered and failed for my early 20s and mid 20s did you pretty bad did you share this with with anyone maybe no i kept it to myself i mean i understand why obviously but um (laughs) it just it wouldn't be accepted or understood or yeah, and especially that was during around like the 2010, 2012 range. So everybody was on like the Mayan calendar stuff. And mm-hmm. it was a bad time for me. But understood. Um, Where'd that take you from there? I mean, if you just kept kind of, you felt like there was, there was a gift or at least a tool or something that you had, but mm-hmm. in your effort to manifest it, it, it never materialized. So like what? Like, what did you end up thinking about being I ended up being pretty depressed for a while, and I kind of gave up on it. Well, I didn't really give up on it because, like, it doesn't go away, so I never stopped trying to use it, if Mm -hmm. that makes sense. But I did not pursue it as my main goal anymore. I started delivering pizzas and doing other things like that and just kind of going in my life and... It was it was a pretty dark time for me. There was actually probably a couple year range where I didn't read the New Testament at all. Was Were you part time. of a religious community at that time? Or? Uh, no, I pretty much stayed away from everything. It was, yeah, not fun. But right. in any case, I eventually started to read again, uh, read the New Testament anyways. And things started to turn back around for me. And I started not caring as much trying to use the energy and just kind of live my life. I eventually started working for my dad under him and eventually got my own franchise and did that for probably five or six years. And this was kind of like building up my physical side of my life (laughs) back to a point where I was at least happy. And then probably... I want to say about four years ago, so maybe 2018 range, uh, 2019 range, I managed to get back to that same place where I was when I was 14 or 15. So I think that meditation is something that most Christians should do. That's just a side point. But while meditating and doing this, I was able to myself back to that location where I was when I was young in that space of nothingness with the figure in front of me. Mm-hmm. And then I didn't feel like a discolored slug. I felt like I was a bug or small, like a very, very small animal, 
but I didn't feel unclean, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. So I, this is after I had been baptized, you know, mm-hmm. so. Is this I, something I, you were, that that's, were you trying, were striving to have that experience again or did it just can't happen again? No, I was just meditating and okay. trying to, just trying to be at peace kind of okay. thing. Mm-hmm. And I managed to find my way back there. Since then, I usually try to meditate in that space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have changed. So through my knowledge, especially through looking into like all the, th- all the stuff that we're talking on the side notes for, you know, things like astrotheology mm-hmm. or um, things like alchemy or looking at ancient scriptures and studying the actual meaning of root words and things like that. I started to become larger, more evolved, if you want to say that. And eventually, probably to about a year ago, um, it was about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, something like that. I'm actually a person there now and not a small animal, if that makes mm. sense. Yeah. yeah. And and I, ha- I have my own robe and I'm very small in comparison, but I'm still me. You're learning at the foot of the master, maybe. Exactly. <laughs> um, at least I like to think about it that way. Right. Um, that's a so... that's a cool image. I, you know, regardless, I mean, someone can be skeptical of your experience that you had when you were 14 or whatever. Regardless of whether that is real or not, it appears to me that it's, it's definitely like a helpful frame that you can mm-hmm. explore your meditation within mm-hmm. in a way that that you're seeing personal growth. And I know that that kind of verbiage gets used in the new age way. I'm, I don't mean that. I mean, you're improving and learning and growing as, as a human and as a Christian, you know? So like, I think that we deny ourselves that kind of growth sometimes if we don't have some framing with which to view the way we're moving through life. Are we mm-hmm. like, are there benchmarks, you know, that we're able to compare ourselves? in the past. Um, I mean, I don't have a framing like that, but I can imagine how healthy it would be because I I look throughout my life and I see ways like there were things that as a young man that I struggled with that I was able to work through. And so Mm -hmm. to some degree, I, you know, I am growing and improving, like kind of like your little, you know, your little guy at the foot of the foot of the master there. Um, And I hope, I hope that for all of us, I hope we're all learning and growing in that way. I didn't mean to sidetrack you again, but that's a a cool metaphor for like exploring your meditation and your growth. And it it almost, for me, it gives me a visual. And like I said, I got to there about maybe four or five years ago range. Since then, it has expanded. So uh, when you meditate and you're talking about the chakra system, you can meditate on the specific colors. And we have a colors, we have a rainbow inside of ourselves going from red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet. Uh, Roy G. Biv, all the way from the bottom to the top, which I think is also interesting considering that God gives us the rainbow as a promise. But side note, while meditating, I found out probably about a year and a half, maybe two years ago, that each one of the colors is basically a world inside of itself. I don't know how to explain it, but if you can get inside the color, there's a world that is created. Uh, Each one is different and each one deals with a topic. Mm -hmm. So each one deals with a sin. 
we start at the bottom with red and lust. Orange is gluttony. Yellow is greed. Green is jealousy. Blue is wrath. Indigo is sloth. And violet is pride. Hmm. And each one of them is a place to learn, I want to say, of how to confront each of these things that are within yourself. Basically, so like we talk about the seven spirits of God. Mm-hmm. Now, there are seven spirits within the body that each one dealing with a specific sin, and you can communicate with these spirits to help understand and learn from yourself, basically, because what they are is you. How to confront and try and overcome that sin. I don't know how to describe it better than that, but each each place has its own has its own trials. This is intriguing and I'm following along. It's just because it's a foreign concept. Uh, I'm at a loss for ability to ask quality questions. I think. <laughs> um, yeah, no, because it's, it's very, it's not something that's very yeah. tangible. It's completely in the metaphysical. So for instance, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, so like my pride is a peacock a violet peacock mm-hmm. sitting on a throne <laughs> and it, it it is it's a peacock because in my mind that represents pride mm-hmm. if that makes sense it is something that is completely vain right. uh thinking itself the the best or the top so each area is something that we can improve ourselves in this gives me imagery of things that i would normally only perceive of as a concept does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. Because they are concepts. Yeah. But if you They're... can visualize something, maybe that makes it easier to either defend yourself against or measure yourself up to. Or mm-hmm. like now, if I do something prideful, I'm probably going to see your purple peacock and I'm going to be like, <laughs> that's not what I want to be. You know, and so that that's going to check my my pride. And it, yeah. Because I, I tend to respond well to visual cues. And so, but I've never applied visual cues to these spiritual or personality concepts. I've just, I, I don't know how I, think, I have framed those things in the past. Yeah, because it's something that um, when we look into scripture, especially um, like the words of Paul or the words of the prophets, where we can see that there is a spiritual body that gets taken up in spirit and sees things differently than what the normal body does. Mm-hmm. And it is a realm of concepts, but at the same time, it's something that you can see. So when John gets taken up in Revelation, he sees the throne of glass. He sees the city coming down in the sky. He sees the beast coming out of the sea. Mm-hmm. Now, these are all things that are metaphysical. They're not actual physical things on the earth. You right. know, like the beast is a kingdom. It's obviously a kingdom because all beasts in the prophecy are kingdoms. Mm-hmm. But it's a physical beast when you look at it in the metaphysical realm. So that's kind of the same way I see the spirits and looking inside of myself. It is a conceptualization of a thing. Right. That, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, we got, and I, you know, numerology is kind of like fascinating to me, but I, I kind of glass over really quickly, you know, when people start talking about all the sevens and seven, this and seven deadly sins mm-hmm. and the, uh, how many times do you forgive your neighbor? 70 times seven. And, you know, it's, yep. Yep. Uh, there's a whole study there that's really awesome and cool. It's just not like on my radar. So I kind of glass over. But again, uh, forgive me for asking maybe a stupid question. Is this 
concepts something you discovered and used for yourself or have other people written about this concept of like the seven colors and so yes actually um now it's something that i use for myself and i just thought was kind of unique to me for a while uh, but then when I started doing more research into especially the early church fathers, um, there are actually multiple recordings of the seven spirits in the body mm -hmm. and talking about them. So it is something that is across humanity. If you're human, you, you have it within you. It's just if you will seek it or not kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'm also sorry because we haven't talked about the psychedelics at all. Right. Well, I was about <laughs> to ask, like, <laughs> a lot of people so are able to like frame their existence through this kind of lens mm -hmm. oftentimes after a psychedelics experience but not before um, yeah so did at some point did psychedelics maybe inspire some of those these thoughts or or ways so, of perceiving the world actually not originally so i had tried mushrooms when i was about 23 24 range um for the first time um and i enjoyed them we just had fun it w i wasn't seeking anything i wasn't mm -hmm. trying for anything it was just me and a couple buddies having fun and i did that maybe a couple more times over my 20s it wasn't really much but after i started uh, that four years ago time being in being able to get back to that metaphysical location I started trying to use, well, I, I used mushrooms on several occasions to meditate with. And I can tell you the difference between meditating on them and just trying to have a fun time is a world of difference. And again, this is not something that's for everyone because, right. again, each person has their own faith and whatever builds that up is beneficial to you. Mm -hmm. And if that's not part of that, then it shouldn't be. Um, right. Can I ask what... Uh... And just for like a baseline for understanding, maybe like the depth of your experience in those meditative sessions, is there a certain dosage like you were shooting for? Um, like a so in the meditative sessions, maybe... I usually did three grams, um, okay. did five grams once. Okay, That's significant. Just so maybe those who may be listening who don't understand, you know, a microdose might be uh, definitely well below one gram. Usually more in the point one to point like five. 50, 50 milligrams to right. like a hundred milligrams. And so you're, this is a yeah, this is a significant, I would say, medium dose of mushrooms that you were using there. Yeah, because um, most people for a normal size will take in the one to three gram range, and then for very large trips, if you're trying to do something really out there, it's about five or more. So mm -hmm. yeah. So did that was, I guess that was, uh, I don't know, you just tell me, how did that shape your perception of religious faith and these ways of understanding the drives and the, and the spirits within all of us? Mm -hmm. um, it's something that when I first started doing the meditations and uh, added the mushrooms to the experience in any case, it's very... It's a lot easier to see the colors. Um, it's a lot easier to see the fractal nature of reality. And what I mean by that is that there is it. All Christians out there would probably agree that we are being watched by God, that there is that God looks upon us and from above and within kind of thing. You can actually see the eye if you meditate properly. 
I don't know how to describe it other than a than a fractal. Um, if people want to look online for pictures of fractals and things like that, um, a spiraling fractal down that goes infinite. But at the same time, there is a circle in the middle that is the viewpoint. And that viewpoint is both us and not us at the same time. I don't know how to better describe it than that, but it helped me to understand light and vision, if that makes sense. Because I see our consciousness or our soul as a point on that fractal that is viewing everything else. My concept of God is everything that has breath comes from God. Um, everything that has spirit comes from God. And God is the spirit that dwells within every single thing that breathes and without everything that breathes. So it is the conceptualization of everything as one and all that is the same. Does that make sense? It makes sense to me. I'm not sure. Uh, I, yeah, everyone if it makes listening, sense to everyone else. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, like, I know this word gets overused. It's It's like this ineffable thing that we try to capture in with our words and convey to another person and it just it's so difficult it's like it, it's 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 the unknown <clears throat> we can't we can't put it into words because it is it is unwordable right but the way you're explaining it it gives me a, a grasp of what you're what you're getting at and okay this is something that over the past few years i've really tried to make sense of um i don't torture myself with the with the idea but i i, I just I keep coming back to it. God is not an old guy in this clouds no. and looks at us down here. If, if we believe that he created things out of himself with his words, we are a part of that. And so I, th I think sometimes Christians lose the message because they get hung up on certain words. And when we talk about being one with God, in some sense, we all are, whether we like it or not. Absolutely. And so do we lean into that unity and mm -hmm. try to harmonize with it? Or do we keep this dualistic separate thing? You know, yep. and I think we have to anchor to that to some degree. And I think that's why scripture teaches us that way, because it's something that we can anchor to and make sense of in our material existence. Mm -hmm. But it's not the, it may not be, the core truth. It's just a way for us to interpret, interpret God in a very childlike way that gives us the tools to navigate physical reality. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. So um, you talk about like the visual, visual, visualization stuff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can, if I can speak <clears throat> English, <laughs> um, the way I like to look at it and see it is like the concept of the yin yang. Everybody listening knows what a yin-yang looks like. So there is the above, what I would call the above, and the light with the dark in it, and the below with the dark with the light in it. But what is within is the line. So if you look at the yin-yang and you think of it like two teardrops, it's not actually two teardrops. It's a side of white and a side of black divided by a sine wave. Mm -hmm. And that sine wave forces it into the teardrop shape. Right. Now... That sine wave is the, you could call the voice of God. It is what is within, which creates the without and the circle that contains everything. So I see the yin yang in three parts, really an above and a below and a within and without. 
Uh, yeah, I, I get that. And I also, I don't know why I keep using this word today, visualize, because I'm seeing these images, I guess, and it's starting to make a little bit more of a concrete sense. But like we look at a yin-yang as a two-dimensional object, like mm -hmm. flat on a paper. Like mm -hmm. imagine it as a ball or a cylinder. Like mm -hmm. what, what is that? How does that change the way we conceptualize the this interlocking oh yeah like light and darkness that takes it to a to another dimension if you've ever looked into um looked into a merkaba uh highly recommended for the three-dimensional structure thing m-e-r-k-a-b-a-h so most people know the star of david mm -hmm. um where you have the two <clears throat> triangles interwoven with each other one up and one down surrounded by the circle but if you take that image and you make it three-dimensional, so say you have two uh, pyramids. Yes. I've seen this, yeah. One one pyramid going up and one pyramid going down that intersects. That's a Merkaba. It's gotcha. the same thing. Instead of a two-dimensional, it's a three-dimensional shape. Gotcha. I've seen that. Mm -hmm. I, I, I wasn't familiar with the with the terminology. Cool. Yep. Uh, goes into um, basically mysticism in the Judaic, in the Judaic mm -hmm. sense. So how did the psychedelic experience continue to inform your meditative and Christian practice? How did that all, or has it yet coalesced, but maybe how did that, uh, how did you continue to make sense of all that? So the meditation part is just something that I do as a Christian. I see it as a Christian aspect thing. The psychedelics, I think, are to help open the mind to more information. So, for instance, when I was talking about the eye of God, being able to see the fractal nature of reality and to know that we are all one thing that comes from the same thing is something that is really valuable to, I think, Christianity in itself, to be able to understand how we are all connected. But at the same time, I think it's something that, how do I put this? So there is a flow and it's not something that can be seen. It's just something that can be sensed. When I have taken mushrooms, I'm much more able to feel that flow. They talk about the waters above and the waters below. It's almost as if you can feel the lapping of the water against yourself. Maybe that's it, that sine wave that goes between the, mm -hmm. the yep. two Every, parts of the everything, <laughs> everything that exists, exists in wave format. It's um, so hard to to get your head around, you know, just, we're just not taught these things. I think if we, if we were exposed to these ideas when we were young, mm -hmm. then maybe we'd, we wouldn't interpret reality in such this like surface level, concrete, materialistic way. Yeah. Um, well, we're also told that this is the way things are, even though we don't actually know that that's the way things are. Um, I'll give you a specific example. I'm, I'm into space a lot. Um, solar system formation. They tell us that, you know, a nebula spins around and eventually the, the heavier things get condensed towards the inside and the lighter things get condensed towards the out. Well, if that's the case, then why is there a large ball, the largest ball of hydrogen at the very center, yeah. you know, with of the lightest element? It's mm -hmm. things that are, if you take and look at things through a logical lens, don't make sense. And we have a lot of things in this world that we're taught that this is the way things are. But when you actually look at it logically, it doesn't make sense. Right. And that applies to this, you know, the things that we're taught in our faith and spiritual education as well. Mm -hmm. Sometimes. Absolutely. Talking about historic, uh, the history, just the history of the gospels and 
the New Testament, the ideas that if you don't understand, for instance, if you haven't read the book of Enoch, you're not going to get some of the things that they talk about in the Gospels, or mm. specifically Jude or Peter. If you haven't studied alchemy, you're not going to get some of the things that Jesus talk about when he talks about fire and water. Like you're not because it's intrinsic to that study of that field. Um, or when we're talking about astrotheology, you're not going to get, you know, for instance, the the dogs under the table. If you right. can't understand that there's a table and dogs underneath of the table, mm -hmm. you know, it's something where it's I, I find it absolutely wonderful because it's as much as you want to dig into it. As deep as you want to go, you can never find the bottom. Mm -hmm. You can learn and learn and learn and learn and learn and never be any more than a certain percentage of the way through it. I find that absolutely wonderful. Well, if, if, you, if you go deep enough into one of those subjects to the point where people no longer can relate to what you're talking about, that's where they call you a mystic. You know, yep. Like, yep. You know, one thing I'm going to start doing on the podcast on every episode is mentioning another podcast that that I enjoy or have mm -hmm. learned a lot about from. I'll drop that in my post-show comments as well, but I'll go ahead and mention it here. There's a cool podcast someone referred me to. It's called the Christian Mysticism Podcast. Yep. And that one. They they just they take a different mystic in history and they discuss them. They talk about their life, mm -hmm. their experiences. And it makes you realize how these people were either highly respected or highly marginalized, you know, in society because they they became so passionate about one aspect uh, of God that mm -hmm. that oftentimes they would, you know, forsake the other things that other people consider to be, you know, good, proper Christian living, you know, because they were so invested in that in that vision or whatever they had that compelled them, you know, to that study or that way of life. And there's a certain like inability for the average Christian to carry these these deep concepts and still have a functional material lifestyle, you know? So I think oftentimes out of a sense of survival, we kind of compartmentalize all those things as individuals and like as the church at large, we're like, yeah, that's crazy uncle. So-and-so let's keep him over there, you know? Yeah. And, and I, I think, think to some a, degree, that a... was like the apocryphal, like these apocryphal books that weren't included mm -hmm. in the Canon. It wasn't that people didn't value them. It was just like, there were too many head scratchers, you know, like, I don't think we can make that fit over here. Let's, let's keep that over here in, in the other pile of books that we consider good, but questionable or whatever, you know? Yeah. It's, it's something that, um, I think a lot of people should look into because I don't think it harms faith at all to say, okay, well, there are 66 books in the Protestant Bible. Why are there 80 books in the Catholic, you know, things like that or especially some of the Gnostic texts. I think they're well worth study, but you should always take them with a grain of salt because most of them come from the second century, so 180, 280. Mm -hmm. um, they're usually after the time period, and there are some in there that are very heretical, you could say, although I, I, I have my own heresies in some people's minds. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I'll give you a specific example of a Gnostic heresy is the idea of dualism, that there is a good God and an evil God. I think that that's a way of looking at the world and seeing something for not how it is. So we can look at, you know, say, for example, the yin yang and say, oh, there's a light side and there's a dark side. That must mean that there's a light, you know, and a dark 
and things like that. But at the same time, if you say, well, no, the whole thing is one and there is only one creator, you know, here, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord God is one, one. you know, <laughs> so it, it's certain things that are it takes an aspect and it views it a little bit differently. And it's something that should be taken with a grain of salt. And you need to have logical discernment if you're willing to go down those rabbit holes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a challenge. You know, I guess throughout history, but particularly for the modern Christian, because that dualism gives us a fulcrum from which to like mm -hmm. balance things, you know, like, well, there's the good guys and the bad guys. That's kind of like relative temporal reality, mm -hmm. material reality right now. Yeah. And it's not that it's untrue, but all that exists within God, within creation. Mm -hmm. But it's hard to reconcile those things. It's like, how can if. If God is good and pure, and now again, I think one reason that we have trouble with that is because we're we're placing value on those words from our perspective. Um, mm -hmm. If God is love, and there's something that doesn't jive in our consciousness with the word love that God expresses, then maybe our definition of love is not accurate. What? What? Human? I, I could be wrong. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh. That's why yeah, I, I love that's... like hearing about these these more you know peripheral you know concepts within within Christianity because they challenge our small paradigm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know God's bigger than our little image of Him in our brain, he, you know His ways are higher than our ways, and so I feel like oftentimes we're exploring space with like a mag light, you know. Oh and, yeah. And so we're we're just so limited in our ability. Not only to... that, we're we're doing shadow puppets while we do it. So we say, "Oh, look, yeah. there's a giraffe over there. That, that must mean something." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's very it's confusing, you know. And so it it it's made me more compassionate towards people. Um, so instead of getting in a big argument, you know, I'll I'll, I'll bat you know bat around theological ideas with people, but um, you know, at the end of the day, if I disagree with them, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna be that mad at them because what do they know? Yeah. Uh, what do I know? I think it's the Apostle Paul says we we see through the glass dimly. It's like we kind of are starting to get a picture of God and his his creative power, his love. It's just a vague sense, you know, mm -hmm. and, and but we all anchor to whatever specific little nugget of truth that that we have managed to come across in our seeking. Yeah, it's, we, it's it's because it's in our sack on our back. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> our hobo sack, you know. Yeah. Santa Claus's bag of gifts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what we do. We we go around. We say, "Ooh, that looks good. I think I'll take that. I'm gonna put that in my bag, and I'm gonna leave yeah. that over there because I don't like that." You it's know, yeah, the, uh, theological buffet style. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. It's kind of how I see the soul or consciousness. So again, we're talking about going back to the fractal nature mm -hmm. of reality and everything being just one giant fractal. I think that each one of us are an individual point on that fractal. And what we see is basically what is around us and what we can see from maybe the other side or things like that. And that's why each one of us has a different perspective. Each one of us has a different drive. Each one of us has a different nature just because we are all looking at things. We're all the same thing, but we're all looking at things from a different angle. Hmm. I may want to go ahead just real quickly and kind of flesh out that idea of a fractal for people mm -hmm. who may not be familiar. I'm going to throw something out there and you can either tweak it, critique it, whatever. 
But I, what helps me understand the idea of a fractal is if you're ever in, uh, you know, the art supply store or whatever, and they have all these prints of, uh, you know, uh, cheap art. And sometimes you'll see one and it'll be like a picture of a rocking chair. But if you get real close, you realize that it's made up of a lot of tiny pictures of rocking chairs. Mm -hmm. And then if you were able to see even closer than that, you would see that those images of rocking chairs are also made up of tiny images of rocking chairs. Yep, absolutely. Love that description. And so that helps me understand the idea of a fractal. It's mm -hmm. like a, a mirror image of something both nested within another one of those, but also the the same thing is nested within it infinitely. Mm -hmm. Yep. So I hope I didn't confuse anybody. I hope that was uh, helpful and not uh, more confusing, but... Uh, or if you think of like a, a nautilus shell, a, a seashell that spirals in on itself, that's that's an example of a fractal because every part of that fractal is just another bigger. Every smaller part is a part of the bigger part, and every bigger part is part of the bigger part of it too. Right. Um, like nesting dolls. So, so, well, yeah, I mean, nesting there's dolls. There's a lot of ways you can yeah. explain it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's cool. Let's talk about maybe a little bit more practical approach as far as psychedelics goes. So. Uh, we've already, you know, made the case that maybe these experiences aren't for everyone, but how might, well, I guess what conclusions have you drawn as far as like, are these things appropriate? Do you think mm. they're gifts that we need to learn to use with discernment? Or do you think they're things that are better left undisturbed by humans? And maybe we're going into parts of the universe that we don't belong in. I mean, there's lots of various views on this. Uh, I think I've, that... I've mentioned more than once that my view is kind of cautious optimism. But, um, mm -hmm. you know, I'm interested to hear what everybody else has to say, too. I think that each individual is responsible for their own journey if they choose to take it. And this is what I mean by that. So let's say if you take a person randomly, let's call him Peter, I don't know, and say Peter wants to try psychedelics because he heard that it was fun. Now, I don't see anything wrong with Peter doing that. However, if peter is saying that he wants to take it for a psychedelic journey to enhance his faith while at the same time he just takes it for fun that is immoral in my opinion it's wrong because it is about intention and what you seek so if someone is just seeking to for example read the king james bible and believe that it is the absolute word of god there's nothing else and be a teetotaler um i know multiple of that type and that's mm -hmm. perfectly fine i don't expect them to do psychedelics i don't expect them to ever even want to it's something that each individual has to do with their own searching their own heart so if you are doing something do it for the right reason don't do it for the wrong reason yeah, I can sympathize with that. Yeah. If there are those out there that do want the spiritual experience with psychedelics and feel that that would be good for their journey, then I would say okay for them. But it's also at the same point can be abused and misused. Mm -hmm. So there are those who will say that they want to do it for the spiritual journey, but are really taking it because they, they like the feel of the drugs. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and Again, that's something that I would say would be immoral and do not do. That's fair. I, that's all. All I needed was a, an opinion. And I, that's what I want people to share on here. Just their, their ever evolving thoughts on the topic. 
search your own heart. Yeah. Well, it's like that with, with many other applications in life. Are, are we seeking money? Like, what are we looking for with that? What are we going to do with that money? Do we have righteous yeah. intentions pursuing wealth? That that in and of itself is not an unhealthy thing to do. Um, it's more about our, our drives, our intentions, um, the value we place on spirit and other mm-hmm. humans above and beyond material things, you know? Yeah. It deals with gluttony somewhat because you are trying to eat more either physically or metaphysically more than you should kind of thing. Take now, everything in, in time and, and digest it first. And now when you say gluttony, I see an orange glow. Over everything. <laughs> <laughs> I got that image. Of, well, one, one thing that, that you had mentioned, and I don't know to what uh, degree you're informed on this, but you mentioned that you knew a little bit about it was uh breath work. Mm-hmm. It, I could, could ask a bunch of questions, but I don't know, um, you know, what all you know about it. So if you want to riff on that, let's uh, maybe talk about that. And maybe I can have some interesting questions uh, once sure. I learn about what you know about it. Um, so I just started doing what I will call breath work, which is just slow, steady breath. I'll give you an example. You breathe in for four seconds, hold it for two seconds, breathe out for four seconds, hold that for two seconds, breathe in. And it's just a steady response cycle over and over again um i started doing what this some during... people refer to as box breathing is that yes um... mm-hmm. i started doing this during meditation in my 20s because it helps you to get into a mindset of stillness mm-hmm. um, if you're concentrating <clears throat> only on your breath and drawing it in holding it breathing it out holding it you get into a rhythm where it is monotonous, but at the same time, your entire consciousness is within that spot. So it helps you to center yourself and become still so that you can hear better, but it also changes your physical biochemistry. So there's actually been many scientific studies done showing this, where if Mm -hmm. you do this process um, and you can change the amount of seconds that you breathe in, breathe out, hold it, whatnot, When you do this, you actually change the alkalinity in your body. Um, You change the oxygen levels in your body. You change. um, There's a lot of physical chemistry that happens and occurs through a meditative breathwork session. There are some people out there that call it Kundalini. And some people might have heard of that term before. Some of you might not. Basically, it would be the electrical charge of the body. And bringing up the electrical charge from your base all the way up to the tip of your head and then back down. But breathing can help with this process as well um, because you visualize that energy uh, when you draw on breath coming from the very bottom, going up to the very top where you hold it and then go back down. And if you can visualize this with your breathing, um, it helps with that process too. I've had a lot of benefit from that just very practically. Mm-hmm. Well, spiritually as well, but as far as practicality goes and what I, what I've done, and this is not something I learned from anyone. It's just something I'm experimenting with over the past year or two. Mm -hmm. I try to see how long and slow I can breathe in and how Mm -hmm. long and slow I can release that. And I've gotten up to over 20 seconds, you know, 20 seconds in 20 seconds out. Yep. If you're doing that, it's impossible to be angry, uh, Mm -hmm. sad, uh, even uh, ecstatically happy, you, like you're so focused on just moderating the breath that uh, you can, that, that, that alkalinity change and things like that, you're, you can almost feel it. Well, you mm-hmm. can feel it because 
again, it's almost like an ineffable state, like a, a spiritual or psycho psychedelic experience. It's, it's hard to put into words, but you will feel tangibly different. And mm. at least in my experience, always better, at least for a, a period of time, because it, it steals your mind. It cuts out the chatter. It's almost like your, it your cuts heart out rate. The ego. Yeah. Your heart rate levels out. Yeah. Yeah. All the worries and the fears mm -hmm. and the, the anxiety. And once I understood the balanced state of mind and body that people were achieving with meditation, it never made sense to me why, as a child, I was taught that such things were strange or ungodly. Mm -hmm. I think it was a cultural thing, really. I mean, it, it really is because it just makes uh, so much sense. It just it chills you out, it balances you, you allows you to have a, a more centered focus. You're not so distracted. Mm -hmm. And it's scriptural mm -hmm. too. It's the thing that most people mm -hmm. understand is that when like Paul talks about being in prayer continuously, he at the same time they're talking about being in meditative prayer. When you look back at the historical evidence of what they were doing, it was usually more like the Jewish style where they were bobbing their heads and they were praying and they were going back and forth and doing the same thing over and over and putting themselves into a trance. Mm -hmm. It's the same thing. It's just we don't see that today because we have, oh, prayer is just, uh, I'm going to say, you know, our father who art in heaven and then uh, I'll be good for the day, you know? <laughs> right. It's it's a very different, different thing than what we know of it today. Right. And that can be a part of it, too. Like there are people who meditatively pray the Our Father or the Jesus prayer that helped me through a difficult time in my life. You know, when I was uh, in my you know late teenage years and I was trying to figure out, you know, what it is to be a responsible adult. You know, a lot mm -hmm. of times, you know, I would just repeat that Jesus prayer and it would give me a a stasis, like a platform, like a stable, like something I could anchor to in a moment of trial. And I, again, I didn't realize I was meditating, but I think that's what I was doing. Um, yeah. I was stealing myself. And same thing with the rosary in the Catholic church. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. True. I think too often we, again, because of cultural differences, we've used those concepts that are foreign to us, to our Christian experience. And yet we see them as a central part of another cultural Christian experience. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't mean we necessarily have to incorporate those things, but if throughout history, Christians have had, had significant value with a practice, like maybe that's something we should, we should look into. We might, uh, if we can get over ourselves, maybe that's something we, you know, we can also find spiritual value in and, you know, grow and learn from it. Yeah. That that's the hardest part is getting over ourselves to be able to do it. Right, right. Because we well, always want to believe that we're the only one that's right. Yeah, I tend to, you know, lean that direction. Unfortunately, <laughs> <That's a better laughs> we wouldn't be human if we didn't. You Just know ask my saying? family; they'll tell you. That's all. That all <laughs> is always right, even when he's not. You know? uh, um, well, where do you go from here? Given your, you know, your current understanding of Christianity and your thoughts on, you know, psychedelics and and breath work and meditation. So um, my goal is to basically figure out how to use the energy within myself in some kind of fashion to mm -hmm. help others, either through the healing of the sick or expulsion of demons, etc. So that is my overarching goal for my life. Um, don't know when that will be filled. Uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> just have faith in it. You know what I'm saying? I've got some of those um, goals of my own, you know? Yep. Um, other than that, I'm working on my podcast, uh, Discussions on Christianity, and... I think that's 
part of my path now is to learn from other people. I've learned what I can learn, but I think that there are other people out there who have different experiences and different viewpoints that I need to hear or they need to hear mine. It is a coming together of knowledge, I think. And that, that's what I want. We're living in an unprecedented time, you know, and the ability to to casually share ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, in the past, Christians could have done this, but the way we would have done it would be reading books by authorities from those other traditions, which yeah. is not a bad thing to do, but it mm-hmm. it's not the same as having a casual long format conversation with a person from a different tradition. Mm-hmm. Now I can tell, you know, based on your, you know, your, the way you interface with people that you kind of have a, and I mean this in the best possible way, like a big tent Christianity kind of idea, you know, you absolutely uh, welcome people from various different, you know, traditions. And uh, I love that. I mean, that's one thing that in a way the podcast has forced me to do, you know, because I've spoken to people more of a, Pentecostal persuasion and I've spoken to people who are devout Catholics and, you know, everything in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's enriched my Christian life a lot. Yeah. Because one person's faith is completely their own. You can't say that they, that this person won't go to heaven because they, they didn't believe that uh, they didn't get baptized when fully submerged or they didn't get baptized in running water. It's like, are you, are you serious? Like, are we, are we really going to that point? Um, But (laughs) I personally find that the message of Christianity is pretty simple. There will be a judgment that comes for all of humanity. Now, if you want all of your sins to be forgiven, place them on Jesus. He will take care of it. Believe and have faith in his death and resurrection and try to be good to people. Yeah. And other than that, I don't, I don't really care what you think. I call your brother or sister in any case. Yeah. Myself as well. Not only do I, I don't, I don't even, it's not that I begrudgingly accept other Christians. I, I welcome them with open arms. It's like, I, I can't judge everyone, every other Christian by my own limited experience you know, with, within the Christian faith. So, yeah. So I've listened to every one of your episodes and quite two of them multiple, you know, more than once. So. Oh, thank um, you, sir. Yeah. I just, I, I love podcasts and I love hearing other Christians just bat around topics, you know, I've really enjoyed yours as well too. Um, with the different people that you've had, cause you've had a quite a different variety of people on as well. Um, in their experiences, especially with psychedelics. Um, and it's been very eye-opening for me for some, for some people. Yeah. Um, I never know, you know, where, where a person's story, uh, oftentimes, you know, when I'm speaking to someone, if you realize I didn't ask you a lot of questions beforehand because I wanted mm-hmm. to learn about you in the moment, you know, and I, and yeah, I hope, exactly. that, hope that comes across in my podcast that, you know, when I, when I invite someone on, there's not a lot scripted here, you know, it's just, we're discovering each other and I'm hopefully, you know, sharing their ideas with the rest of the Christian world. And hopefully that'll inform us all and give us all a uh, greater faith and greater love and compassion for our fellow man. So, Absolutely. Uh, and that, that would be my prayer as well for everyone's faith to be built up no matter what it is. Well, Adam, any parting thought? Share with the listeners where they can reach you, where they can find your podcast or any other things you're working on and and uh, ways they can interact with you and your your content. 
Um, so I host a podcast called Discussions on Christianity. You can find that on all the major platforms, Apple, Spotify, etc. Um, I have a website, discussionsonchristianity.com, and you can support me there if you'd like to. Parting thoughts, I would say I hope that everyone can find balance because I think that is crucial. Yeah, I agree. Well, brother, thank you for joining me today. And uh, I wish you the best with your podcast. And uh, we'll have to get together maybe in a year or two and reconvene and share what's been going on in each other's lives and in their content. Sounds like a plan, sir. Thank you for having me on. No, it's been a pleasure. We'll, uh, we'll talk soon. Take care, brother. You too. Thanks again to Adam for joining us today and for his willingness to speak candidly about his life and his thoughts on psychedelics and Christian faith. So be sure to check out Adam's podcast, Discussions on Christianity. I will drop a link to it in the show notes, and you can no doubt find it on your favorite podcast app. So pay him a visit and remember to like and subscribe. I know some of you are likely very timid about sharing your thoughts on this topic. That is completely understandable. I've been there myself. However, for better or worse, the stigma associated with this topic is beginning to wane. Soon enough, you will find yourself in a discussion on this topic with sensible, like-minded people. This will be your opportunity to participate with a thoughtful and balanced viewpoint. It is my hope that this is what my conversations here provide. So please share this podcast with someone you know. Ask them what they think about the topic. You can be the catalyst for bringing this conversation into the Christian mainstream, where we can all share our thoughts and reach sound, principled judgment. Well, as promised, I have a few other podcast recommendations for you as well. These might not be a perfect fit for you, but they are podcasts that I find valuable, and I believe that many of you will as well. Today, I have two podcast recommendations for you. First, I encourage you to check out the True Life podcast, hosted by the one and only George Monty. I have been honored to be a guest on George's podcast twice in the last couple months, and I will put links to those episodes in the show notes. But even better than my conversations with George, I recommend any of the episodes with Dr. David Solomon. They often explore the lives of medieval Christian mystics. I don't believe that George would necessarily identify himself as a Christian, at least not in the traditional sense, but he is a deeply read and open-minded fellow with an infectious energy and a thirst for knowledge of all things psychedelic and spiritual. He really has a great podcast and hosts intriguing guests from all walks of life. Secondly, I would like to heartily recommend that you have a listen to the Christian Mysticism podcast hosted by Alberto de la Cruz and Dr. Carlos Ayer. In each episode, they document the life and times of a historical Christian mystic. It is absolutely fascinating to learn about the lives of these eccentric Christian brothers and sisters and how their contributions continue to impact the church even in our own day. So take time this week to listen to an episode or two of these great podcasts. Reach out to the host. Let them know how you heard about the show. I don't have any financial connections with any of the podcasts I recommend. I just want others to enjoy the content that I personally value. And if you appreciate these podcast recommendations, let me know what you've enjoyed and feel free to share your favorites with me.
You can always reach me via email, contact at thepsychedelicchristianpodcast.com. We are truly blessed to have so much incredible content freely available. Never in history has it been so convenient to learn and to share. Do not take it for granted. Well, my friends, that concludes this episode of the Psychedelic Christian Podcast. So until we meet again at the intersection of Christian faith and psychedelics, may the Lord bless you and keep you. (laughs) 